This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. How are we doing this morning, church? Give me, give me a big old smile for doing good today. That good, huh? Turn to your neighbor and say, uh, I know God's love is reckless, but it's not as reckless as you're driving because I saw you drive in today. <laughs> anyone, anyone was running late? Just admit it right now. We know you were speeding. It's fine. We won't tell anybody. Um, I just want to say thanks for being at church today. I think I recognize all your faces. I want to welcome our online audience. If you don't know me, my name is Pastor Trenton, and I have the privilege of being a part of RLC. How many people are thankful for this community? It's a good community. And uh, I, I was listening to an interview this week um, by a well-known pastor. If I said his name, most of you would know. And he was talking about just how um, important gathering together in person is. And so that's not to knock on our online audience, but just the value of what we do here, the value of, of lifting up the name of Jesus together, rubbing shoulders and together in faith saying, we believe in Jesus. We want to grow. We want to, we want to come to know Jesus better. So thanks for making that a priority. Thanks for your faithfulness and giving. Thanks for being a part of this. Thanks for showing up today. If you're on vacation, you're watching online, enjoy it for the rest of us. Um, the weather in Salem is cloudy. How many people are like getting ready for the fall? Anyone? Okay, everyone's like, yes, I hate summer. Yeah, we had uh, some hot days there, so I'm excited myself for the fall. Anyway, we're going to jump into week four of a series called Seven, but before we do, I want to give a couple just uh, announcements. First of all, I want to give a ministry plug, Um, and I know that we just came off a series called Crash Course where we talked about the importance of ministry, but I want to give a plug to each one of you today. Um, If you're not serving, would you find a place to serve? And I'm not just saying that, like, for fun. Like, when I say that, like, Nothing stirs me up more inside than when I see people not stirring. Doesn't mean I hate you, but I want to see you serve. And there's multiple reasons for that. But one of the biggest reasons is God did not make the church to be a consumerism organization. Like he didn't make it for people to come and just take away. He made it to be um, this organism that works together for the better of the whole, that they would would minister to one another. And so I want you to see the blessings that come on your life from serving. And I also want you to impact people. I want you to feel what that's like. And I also want people to be impacted by you. And so the reason I'm saying this is because um, it came to my mind today. We have multiple ministries that are either trying to kick back off or different things, and we're still short. Like, I'm going to be honest, like our worship team, um, not singers, I have plenty of singers, but band members, we need more band members. I know our tech team could use more people. My wife this week was like, I really want to reopen the nursery, and she had to scrounge and text random people. Like, would you fill one hole in this entire quarter of, of, of this, next, this next schedule? And I don't know about you, but like, that's important. Like, I want people to be able to come to church and, and trust that their kids are in good hands. So if you want to serve, please reach out to one of our pastoral staff. Allie's over kids. If you want to serve, she is opening the nursery back up in September. So that's super valuable. So if you want to be a part of that, please take the steps to do that. Say that's a good word. Um, and last but not least, Pastor Kevin and Rhonda are on vacation. You saw that in the video. Um, I want to just encourage you to keep them in your prayers. They're coming back um, from where they're at pretty quick here, and they're stepping into a week um, with Ron, um, Pastor Rhonda's sixth and final chemo session. And we're claiming, that's good, yeah. And we're claiming that it's the last chemo session ever in the name of Jesus, that this cancer's gotten, gotten rid of and that she's free from this. And so keep them in your prayers. They also just have um, some random stuff going on in their life that, um, with their house and things like that that obviously are not fun, so it adds extra stress while they're trying to take a vacation. So keep them in their prayers. Let them know that you love them. Um, shoot them a text right now. Ignore what I'm saying because they're, they're more important. Uh, Pastor Kevin would be like, yes, I'm more important. So anyway, with that being said, say week four. We're stepping in week four of a series called Seven, and this is officially the halfway point. So give yourself a pat on the back and say, good job, I made it. If you haven't, if you haven't been to a service yet, it's okay, we'll give you a free pass because Jesus loves you. Um, anyway, real quick, just by raising hands, how many people have been challenged by this series that we've been in? Challenged or grown? See, that's good. So if you are new with us this morning, or if you're watching online for the first time, or if you've missed any of these weeks, I cannot like, encourage you enough to go back and listen on our podcast or YouTube. And I say this not because the preaching has been the most excellent thing in the world, but because the Word of God and what we're studying, I think, is foundational and absolutely 100% life-changing for you. And so I'm not like, we're not going through this just so we can fill some time. We're going through this because we want you to be changed. So I want to encourage you to, to go back and listen if you haven't. Go back and listen even if you've already heard it and let it change you again. So with that being said, why the number seven? If you've been with us, you know by now why we call 
called it seven, but for those who have not heard it yet, we chose the number seven because, first of all, numbers are important in life, right? We see them everywhere. Like, you need numbers to keep track of time. Like, if you didn't know what time was, you wouldn't be able to get to church on time, right? If, if, if you didn't have numbers, you wouldn't be able to keep track of your finances or dates, special dates. And so what we decided is that seven out of all the numbers is an especially important number, and we see it all over in our world today. Seven days in a week, there's seven continents, seven ancient wonders of the world, right? There's seven colors in a rainbow. But number seven is not just cool in life. It's actually especially special in the Bible as well. And so we've talked about how um, it's actually the number, God's number, the number of completeness and perfection. There's, there's 735 occurrences of seven in the Bible, and I could rattle off a ton for you this morning. But the reason we call it seven is because there's one specific time in the Bible where we see this number seven um, existing, and that is where Jesus makes seven I am statements about himself. And in these I am statements, we now know them as the I am statements of Jesus. He describes for us a metaphor, a metaphor, who he is. And this is super valuable because, like, I don't know if, like, you know why you're here, but if you're not here to know Jesus, you probably, like, enter the wrong building because, like, the whole point of our faith is to know Jesus. And so the whole goal of the series is that we're taking this and we're trying to delve in, dive in, and unpack who Jesus is. And so if you were with us the first week, you found out that the thesis of this whole thing is that your view of who Jesus is can be wrong. But when you get it right, it will change your life. Say, when you get it right, it will change your life. And in so many ways, this has already impacted you. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you know how this is true. But I want to offer to you today that maybe you have not fully understood Jesus all the way, and there's still more that he can change in your life. And so this series is super important. So this week, we're stepping into week four, like I said, and we're continuing on, and we're looking at our third I am statement. We took them out of order. It's fine. Trenton's weird, and he just plans things differently. So we're not looking at, in, looking at them in chronological order, but we are looking at the third statement that we chose to look at today. So if you have your Bible or your phone, turn with me to John chapter 10, and we're going to read just 15 verses today. But I want to give you context, like every week we've given you context. Um, and this is for multiple reasons. First of all, John 10 is super important because in this passage of Scripture, there's two I am statements. So you're going to hear one today, and then in a couple weeks, Pastor Sasser is going to unpack one as well. And John 10 um, has two I am statements, and they're two of the best I am statements, okay? So we're going to look at just one today. That's why I'm skipping around in verses. And the second thing you need to know about John 10 is you need to know what precedes John 10. Because if you start reading John 10, verse 1, you're going to see Jesus like calling out the Pharisees and religious leaders of the day. And I don't know about you, but I would like to have context of why he's being so direct with them. Like how many people, like you hear someone having an argument and they're like, I shouldn't eavesdrop, but you want to hear it. Like anyone just being honest? Okay. So like we want to know why Jesus is calling them out. So in order to do that, we're going to step back into John 9. So John 9, verse 1 we see that Jesus and the disciples are walking along and they see a blind man. And John, the writer of this eyewitness account of Jesus' life, lets us know that they knew this blind man was blind from birth. And that's important for us to know because it causes the disciples to ask a question. And the question to me and you sounds weird, but they say, hey, Jesus, is this man blind because he sinned or because his parents sinned? And like to us, you're like, that's kind of whack. Like, why don't you just kick a guy while they're down, right? Like if you're in a grocery store and your child says something about a stranger out loud, you're like, Shh, you don't want them to, like, you know what I'm talking about? You're like, don't say that. Like disciples, what are you thinking? But to them, this would have been common. See, because in first century religion, um, it was common, especially um, in, in this context, people had skewed the Old Testament. They believe that sin can cause physical ailment. So if a person, like in this instance, is born blind, they could have been like, well, their, their parents must have sinned, and this caused them to be blind, But which is not the case, right? That's like not how our faith works. But Jesus responds, and he goes, actually, neither him or his parents sinned. He is blind because I want to show my power through him. And so right there, God shows us that he loves us so much and that he allows sin in whatever form it is to affect our lives, but he can work through it. So it's a powerful, powerful testimony. So next thing you know, Jesus spits on the ground. He makes some mud out of dirt and he wipes it on the guy's face. The guy goes and washes it off and he's healed. Like that's a pretty cool miracle, but I'm like pretty germaphobic. So if someone wiped their spit on my face, I probably punch them. So good thing that guy didn't do that. Um, so anyway, this guy's healed. And what I want you to get is like this would have attracted a lot of attention because this man, he, he had for years probably been sitting on, on a street corner begging for money. And so the town would have walked by him over and over and seen this man. And now all of a sudden he's up walking around able to see. So everyone's like, dude, how'd you get healed? And he explains like it was Jesus. Next thing you know, they take 
the people, his neighbors, this community takes him to the religious leaders. And this could have happened for a number of reasons, which I'm not going to get into. But long story short, what ends up happening is the religious leaders start grilling this man for answers. They start, they open an investigation and they're like, how did you get healed? Who do you think Jesus is now that you're healed? Like, do you, like, what do you think about him? Like, is he just a normal guy? Is he God? Like, and so they start grilling him. And like, long story short, at the very end, they end up kicking him out of the temple. And we have to keep in mind, the Pharisees hated Jesus. Like, they did not like Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus. Jesus was doing miracles. He had a massive following. He is teaching things that was um, basically disputing what they had their whole life believed. And so they hated him. So they kicked this man out because this man has now declared, well, I believe Jesus is sent from God because there's no other way to explain how he healed me. So that's where we find ourselves in John 9, 39 uh, through 41. I want to read those three verses real quick, and then we're going to read our main passage. And the reason I'm doing this is because I want you to understand, again, why Jesus said what he said. So after he heals the man, he finds the man after the man's been kicked out of the synagogue, and he basically reveals to him, hey, I'm the son of God. The guy starts worshiping him. And then Jesus says, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with Jesus heard him say this and asked, wait, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So what's happening? Basically, Jesus is saying, I came to this world to bring spiritual healing to spiritually sick people. You claim that you are already healthy, so I cannot help you. Does that make sense? So he, he's basically calling them out because the religious leaders claim they could spiritually see. They claim they could know they knew God. They claim they could see God, but obviously God's standing in front of them, and they ain't that bright because they don't think he's God, right? So he's calling them out for this, and that's where we pick up in John chapter 10, okay? He says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter by the sheep pen, by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and robber. The one who enters by the, sh the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And Sasser's going to unpack the, the door and the gate more in weeks to come. But I just want to give you context to what I'm going to say today. So he says, The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, the shepherd, and the sheep listen to the shepherd's voice. The shepherd calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know the shepherd's voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. We're going to skip down to verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. Say, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. Jesus is again claiming this. I am the good shepherd. Our third I am statement. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But again, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me just as the father knows me. And I know the father. I lay my life down for my sheep. And then one last, two last verses I want to skip to. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So that's a good word, right? So we're going to unpack that today. Um, the title of my message, if you like to take notes, is I'm needy. I'm needy. So repeat that after me. Say, I'm needy. I'm needy. Now turn to your neighbor and say, yeah, you are. <laughs> I get this. I get told I'm needy a lot, but it's fine, okay? Um, I, I ain't sweating it. Like, I know that I'm a good person, so it is what it is. Anyway, let's pray real quick. God, I just thank you today for who you are. God, and I pray right now, God, as um, your word is so powerful, God, and people need to grasp that they serve and they follow a good shepherd. God, I pray that today this would just be pierced and, 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 and burned into our minds that how good you are, how much you care for us, God, how much you love us, God. And we would walk away confident in the fact that we serve a God that is good. So even when the world is going, going crazy, it's, going, it's chaotic, God, we serve a God who is in control. And we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, everyone said. So real quick this morning, by raising hands, how many of you have ever had the experience where someone comes up to you and is like, dude, you remind me of so-and-so? Has like this happened to anyone? Like, it could be like, dude, you remind me of like this mutual friend we have. It could be like their second cousin, Bob, you've never met. But they're like, dude, you remind me of Bob. I'm like, cool, I don't know Bob, so get away from me. Uh, or it could be like a celebrity, right? And like, it could be like someone famous. You're like, that is a total compliment. And so when this happens, I really think there's two responses that we have. Like I said, it's either a complete compliment. Like if someone comes up, it's like, you look like Chris Hemsworth. I'm going to say thank you. I get that a lot. 
No, I was, I was kidding. I don't get that a lot. Um, this never happened, but it's fine because I'm better looking than Chris Hemsworth. My mama tells me every day. No, I was kidding. Um, so it's my, that's weird. My wife tells me every day. It's fine. Anyway, so what just happened? Okay, so that's the first response, right? First response, right? It's a total compliment. The second thing is that um, it's a total diss, right? Like, and you don't want to admit this because, like, especially if it's someone you know, but you're like in my head, in your head, going. That's like who I remind you of? Like of all the people, this is who I remind you of. Like, and then you start getting super insecure. My wife has had to talk me out of a few trees where this has happened in my life. I'm like, babe, like they said I remind them of this person. Am I like this person? She's like, honey, calm down. So anyway, I want to give you an example of this because last week we were at summer camp and I can't like can't talk about summer camp and forget to remind you that we are champions once again. RCU. So anyway, it's fine. Team yellow all the way. But we were at summer camp, and if I remember right, it was the last day of summer camp. And we're basically sitting in this amphitheater area, and we're getting dismissed to breakfast. And one of, the, I think it was the camp director, um, he was asking basically the students, the ones that were left behind, he was like, hey, let's go through some leaders and like say what Marvel characters they are, okay? So like, there's, they're like, this leader reminds me of this Marvel character, this leader reminds me of this. Then next thing you know, the out-of-state out camp speaker gets up on the platform, and he's like, hey, who does this remind you of? And one kid just is like, Thanos! And I'm like, I don't know about you, but like last time I looked, like Thanos, I don't, I, I, I wouldn't take that as a compliment. Like obviously Thanos, like he's a great villain and all, he's super powerful because he can beat basically all the Avengers. Um, but like, yeah, Thanos, when he fell from his, his family tree, he had a couple branches on the way down, if you know what I'm talking about, okay? Like Thanos ain't the best looking. So when they screamed out Thanos, I'm like, you should have thought that through better junior high student. <laughs> So anyway, why am I telling you this? Because I feel like in our lives, we've all had one of these encounters where someone's like, hey, you remind me of this. And, and we may not want to be associated with that. And so we have to wrestle with that. And I believe that's kind of what's happening in our text today. Because this whole series, you see, is focused on who Jesus is, right? We're answering who is Jesus. But we would be foolish not to recognize who Jesus is saying we are in this story, right? If he's the shepherd, it makes us the... You got it. See, because in John 10, there's multiple characters, right? We see the gatekeeper, which I'm assuming is God, right? We see the shepherd, obviously Jesus. There's thieves, robbers, and hired hands. This is the religious leaders. We see the wolf. That could be Satan, right? It's evil. And then again, like I said, the sheep are us. Now, if I'm getting compared to a sheep, I'm not taking that as a compliment. I don't know about you, but sheep are not the coolest animal in the world. If someone's like, what's your favorite animal or what animal do you want to be if you had to be one? I would not choose sheep. It'd be on the bottom of my list, right? Sheep are not cool, especially domesticated farm animal sheep. And just so you know what I'm talking about, let's look at what sheep really are. Will you play that video? Yeah, they're so fluffy. They're really cute. But psych. <laughs> like, clear, like clearly of all the animals, you're like, thanks, Jesus, for comparing me to a sheep, okay? So... In case you're not picking up what I'm putting down, sheep are directionless, they're helpless, they're dirty, they're timid, they don't have sharp teeth, fangs, claws, or ferocious growl. They're not fast, they are not cool, they're fluffy, okay? The old adage goes, if you can't sleep, count. They don't say count rattlesnakes because your kids be having nightmares, okay? They say count sheep, all right? So, and what's funny is I've heard people look at this, this metaphor, this analogy of sheep multiple times, and they try to explain it a number of ways. And one of the most common is that sheep are stupid and humans are stupid. So it's a perfect correlation. And like the more I thought about this, like, yeah, it's funny, but like, I was like, I have a bit of a problem with this because why would Jesus be calling the creation he made his own image stupid? I don't think that was the point of the metaphor. Also, the more I studied, sheep actually are pretty intelligent, even though they have their special moments like all of us. They, uh, they, they are actually very highly intelligent and emotional. They have great memory, these different things. So if that's the case, we have to go, why did Jesus say he's the shepherd and we are sheep? And here's what I want you to understand today. Yes, there are many correlations between humanity and sheep. But the reason he used this metaphor, I believe, was because he wanted us to, without a doubt, understand a clear picture of who he is. He wanted us to understand what a shepherd was and what a shepherd did. See, and as we've discussed, when Jesus made these metaphor I am statements, he was choosing things that people of that day would have understood. So in that society, when, when he heard, or when people heard I am the good shepherd, he was essentially saying, don't complicate it. How do you understand a shepherd? What do they do? Why are they important? That's what I'm saying I am to you. See, the people in this day lived in an agrarian society, meaning they lived off the land. 
right? They, they, their life, their experience was based on the land. And so when they, he said shepherd, they had a clear picture of what a shepherd was. We may not, right? Because I don't know about you, but like I've never wanted to be a shepherd in my life. Um, but like maybe think about it like a car salesman in cars. Like you know what we're talking about. This is what Jesus was doing here. And so if I could sum up in one sentence what Jesus meant when he said, I'm the good shepherd, and when he was talking about these domesticated farm animal sheep, it would be this. Humanity, like sheep, has immense needs, and Jesus is the greatest one to meet our needs. Like, just let that sink in. Humanity, like sheep, has, has immense needs. Like, I just prayed about all the needs we have in our world today. And Jesus is saying, I am the one, the greatest one to meet those needs. See, because when we talk about sheep, there's like two classes. Like we got like the wild sheep that are like rams that like live in the hills. You're like, these are cool. And then you have like what I just showed you, like domesticated farm animal sheep. And you have to understand, domesticated farm animal sheep desperately need a shepherd for their survival. And I'm going to show you that in a minute. So when he said this, he was saying, I know you have needs and I want to be able to meet those needs. Matt Chandler said about this text, he's a famous pastor, a well-known pastor. He said, the emphasis of John 10 is not the dumbness or stupidity of the sheep, but the love of the shepherd. And that's such a good, good way to state that. See, sometimes we're so selfish, we get focused on what Jesus is calling us rather than going, no, the whole point of the passage is actually what he's calling himself. And so today, I want to unpack this metaphor. And again, my goal is to drown you in information. So if you walk away glazed over in the eyes, it's fine. I want you to go back and listen to this message. And I want you to have the clearest picture of what Jesus meant by this metaphor. And I want it to change your life. Because I feel like this metaphor and the application of it is life-changing, okay? So we're going to do that today. I'm going to give you four things a shepherd does. And in doing that, I want to show you how Jesus is describing who he was in four ways, Okay? Sound good? Now your head, that's good? Okay. So first one this morning is that a shepherd cares for the sheep. Say care. Yeah. Shepherd cares for the sheep. In the Reich family, there's an ongoing um, joke. It's not really a joke. It's a truth that I am the most high maintenance of our family. And it's okay. I'm picky. I'm OCD. I'm germaphobic. It's cool. I, like, I go through my ups and downs. People call me dramatic, but I'm fine with it. Okay. I accepted it. And the reality is I'm okay with it because at the end of the day, it's the cost my family must pay to be blessed with the presence of me. So... <laughs> I mean, they, they like can either get rid of me and my high maintenance or they can accept that I am the most amazing blessing ever. So that's where I've just settled. The reason I tell you this today is because I want you to know that being high maintenance, I know when something or someone or a situation is going to be high maintenance. So I want to give you my professional view today on sheep. They are high maintenance, okay? They are so high maintenance. Shepherding is not a nine to five job, five days a week where you get two days off on the weekend. Like, no, shepherds are continually caring about the survival and, and the thriving of their sheep. And if you don't believe, let me, let me show you how. <clears throat> so there's a couple different ways that sheep are high maintenance. I'm gonna go through a couple. Some of these are extreme, but they're also hilarious, so I have to share them. The first one is that sheep have a tendency to wander, okay? Like sheep are not an animal. You can just be like, Go graze, I'll find you later. Like, no. Like, there was a story, like, I think it was published in Fox News, like, early 2000s. And in this story, the, it's a story about how, like, 450 sheep died. You want to know how they died? Okay. Um, so these, you guys don't want to know? I mean, I would want to know. It's pretty entertaining, okay? I mean, not that something's dying. It's fine, though. Um, so, anyway, these, these Turkish shepherds decide to... Um, leave their, their sheep out to graze. They go have some breakfast. Next thing you know, one sheep decides to wander off a cliff. And the 1,500 other ones follow suit off the cliff. You want to know why only 450 died? Because the other ones fell on their fluffy friends and they survived. Okay, like sheep, sheep need, they are high maintenance and they need to be watched. Okay, so I'm just saying like they need to be watched. Shepherding is not an easy job. Just trying to enjoy some breakfast and then your whole livelihood goes jumping off a cliff. Okay. Another one is sheep won't lie down unless multiple requirements are met. And this is a crazy to me, but they have to be free from fear. They have to be free from friction with other sheep. They have to be free from bugs annoying them. And they have to be free from hunger, okay? All these things have to be met in order for them to lie down and rest. And you know who's responsible for them making, getting those requirements? The shepherd, yep. That, like, that's their sole responsibility. Like some of you are like, man, I'm glad I didn't choose shepherding as my career. Sheep are also destructive. This was crazy to me, but sheep, they're, again, I'm not saying they're stupid, but they're also not the brightest, okay? If you put them in a pasture, naturally they will keep eating from that pasture until they have dug up the roots and completely ruined the pasture. So shepherds are responsible to periodically make sure their sheep are moving different locations so they don't, they don't ruin one pasture, okay? So like shepherds have to, have to like set a timer or whatever it is and make sure that their sheep are not there too long. 
Another one, and this one, like, I can't help but laugh because it's so funny, is that sheep can get stuck on their back and die, okay? Like, and there's a term for this, and it's called cast sheep. And what happens, basically, is if a sheep's overweight or they're heavy in pregnancy or they're just super fluffy with wool, they can find themselves lying down to rest, and then they wake up on their back, and they're just freaking out. Like, I can just picture their legs, like, ah, you know what I mean? Like, that's, like, a funny sight. I would get down and do it, but you guys would all, like, end up leaving. Does anyone want to see me? No, I was kidding. <laughs> Julie's like, no, office manager's like, shut up. We don't have that in our liability. Okay. So anyway, the sheep are on their back. Okay. And what ends up happening is because they can't get um, turned back on, like by themselves back on their feet, um, they have two stomachs. And so gas starts building up in their first stomach and it ends up causing blood um, circulation to be cut off from the rest of their body. And eventually they'll die. So if it's super hot weather, like the sheep are going to die quickly if it's cold weather, not, not as fast, okay? And so what you have to understand is the shepherd's the only one that can tip these sheep back on their feet and make sure they're all right. And the last one, and this one, again, is, is extreme cases, but sheep um, will actually kill themselves um, in, under certain circumstances. And one of those circumstances, I think it's the only circumstance actually, is if um, flies, like, flies like to lay basically their eggs on the sheep's nose, okay? And what happens is as those eggs hatch, if like the larvae get up into their skin, it causes immense irritation. So sheep will like beat their heads against things, which is like, I told Allie, is a hilarious sight to think of. Like the sad, like can you just be, imagine walking through a field and the sheep's just like, Against a rock, like, I'm just saying, that would be quite the sight. You would all pull your phones out. Don't judge me, okay? So they also will, like, rub their, their face on the ground. But, like, in extreme situations where they're trying to get relief from this, they'll actually ram their heads so hard that they kill themselves. And so the shepherd is constantly responsible for making sure they're not in bug-infested areas, that they have the right stuff on their body to repel bugs. So all this to be said, can you picture, like, how high-maintenance sheep are? Like, this is not like a dog that you like feed, love on, play with, take for a walk. Like, no, like you are constantly supervising these sheep. And so the reason I want you to understand this is, again, I want you to, without a doubt, understand the clear picture of what Jesus is saying when he says, I am your good shepherd. See, when he claimed to be the good shepherd, he was claiming, I care for you more than you can even comprehend. I care for your survival I care for you to thrive. I care for you, and you while you flourish. I care for you. And I want you to have this picture because next time you look at the big bad world going on and go, God's too far away. He doesn't care. I want you to remember what Jesus said. I'm the good shepherd. And there's a wonderful quote made by W. Philip Keller. And um, just so you understand, W. Philip Keller um, was a, I think if I remember right, he was a missionary kid. But he grew up in East Africa, so he observed shepherds. Um, he also was a shepherd that made his livelihood off of being a shepherd for eight years. And later he became a pastor. And becoming a pastor, he talked about Psalm 23 through the eyes of being a shepherd. And Psalm 23 is like this famous passage of scripture where it talks about David and his relationship with God as, as, as God being the shepherd. Okay, And he wrote this book called um, a, a Look at Psalm 23 Through the Eyes of a Shepherd. I think it's something like that. I might have butchered it. But I skimmed this book this week, and I just could not help but just feel this overwhelming sense of what God was trying to say to me when he said, I'm the good shepherd. And Philip Keller summed it up like this. He said, the day I bought sheep, I also realized that this was but the first stage in a long-lasting endeavor in which from then on, I would, as their owner, have to continually lay down my life for them if they were to flourish and prosper. Sheep do not just take care of themselves, as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock endless attention and meticulous care. It is no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Our fears and timidity, our stubbornness and stupidity, our perverse habits um, all, are all parallels of profound importance. And here's the best part. Yet despite these adverse characteristics, Christ chooses us. He buys us. He calls us by name. He makes us his own. And he delights in caring for us. A shepherd cares. And so I want you to understand nothing is too big. I think we have this misconception that God is in the sky and he, and he cares about the big things going on. But how could he care about the little details? And he 100% cares about you. He cares about stuff going on in your house. He cares about your emotional well-being. He cares about your financial struggles. He cares about your children. He cares about your job. He cares for you. He wants to see you succeed. So say, the shepherd cares for me. Okay, the second thing a shepherd does is a shepherd knows their sheep. A shepherd knows their sheep. 
So if I were to ask everyone this morning um, and, and task you with the responsibility to write down what you thought humanity's five greatest needs in life are, and you turn them in, I know I'd get a gamut of answers, right? Like we would have everything from like food and water to the Christianese. It's like Jesus, right? Like we, we would get all sorts of answers. But I believe, I haven't done this, so I could totally be wrong, but I think if I were to do this and I started to pool together similar like answers, I would be able to come up with a category that says one of the greatest human needs in life is to be known, is to be known. And what I mean by to, me, to be known, I'm not talking about a celebrity that has like 5 million followers on Instagram. That is a type of being known. The type of being known that I think is essential to our life is the type of being known that lets each one of us know that we are cared for, that we matter, and that, that we have, there's like an experiential knowledge of us with someone else. I think we need it. It's why parents are so valuable to little children. It's why friendships and relationships are so valuable. It's why God made a church. It's why God made humanity. God himself emulates this idea of, 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 of being three in one and this tight-knit community, okay? And so this type of being known, I think we can all agree we need that to survive. And the beauty of it is this is what I believe Jesus he's, is saying when he supplies Sorry, this is what I believe Jesus is saying he supplies for us when he, when he makes this statement in John 10. See, because one of the biggest things that kept standing out to me while I studied was that there was this deep and intimate relationship between sheep and shepherd. Like over and over, like every time I'm looking, I'm like, they're not only high maintenance and cared for, but like the, sh- the shepherd knew the sheep. Okay, like he knew the sheep. And this is why Jesus says in John 10, the sheep listen to the shepherd's voice. He calls his sheep by name. You don't name something unless it matters to you. He leads them out. His sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And then Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. See, when Jesus used this metaphor, he was not trying to stretch the, like, stretch the truth or fluff up this metaphor to make it like, great for preaching later when he knew Trent was going to preach August 22nd. Like, he did not fluff this up on purpose, okay? In that day, shepherds' relationship with their sheep was so unique. Like I had already said, they would name their sheep, like whether it's like Mr. Flufferton or like Skinny Legs, like they would name their sheep, okay? It's not like, there's not like, just like numbers. They're not like, hey, Number five, come here. Like, no, like they knew their sheep. Like there was an intimate relationship with their sheep. And one of the coolest representations of this um, I found out was how sheep were put in their sheepfold at night. See, um, in that day and age, there was basically a community sheepfold. And so a shepherd would come in from a long day's work along with every other shepherd in town, and they would all put their sheep into one massive sheep pen, okay? And so the next morning, logically, I'm thinking, does that mean you have to go through and be like, dude, I spray painted all of mine in the tail. So like the, all the green spray painted tails are mine. Like, and you have to separate them all out. Like A, they didn't have spray paint and B, like, no, that didn't happen. This is what attests to the intimacy of the sheep. The shepherd would stand outside the gate and he would call his sheep, whatever that was. I don't know if it was a song or a flute. I didn't fully understand, but they would call their sheep. And next thing you know, all the sheep would come to them. All the sheep, all their sheep, not, the, not sheep that are not their own, their sheep, because they intimately knew their shepherd. And the coolest part about this, and I actually ran across a video on YouTube of this happening, um, in, not quite in this context, but to show this reality, is that if a person tried to imitate the call that was not the shepherd and call the sheep, the sheep would not listen. It had to be the shepherd. They knew the shepherd's inflection and tone of voice that well that they would come to the shepherd. And so what I'm trying to tell you today is that Jesus, when he said, I'm the good shepherd, he was extending an invitation that I want to fill your greatest need. And that's to be known. And the beauty of it is Jesus created you. We find out that it says, um, like God counts the numbers of hairs on our head. Like he knows the number of hairs on our head, right? His thoughts about us are so big. And what's crazy is while I was studying, I couldn't help but think of Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is written by King David, right? This warrior king. But we also know that David grew up as a shepherd. So he would have known the intimacy between a shepherd and sheep. And then he writes this beautiful psalm that everyone knows, Psalm 139. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Can you not just hear the imagery that he's, he's, he's like trying to put forth here? I can picture that he's saying, God's my shepherd. 
He says, before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. For you have created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And I can keep going. This is a long psalm. And when I read this and when I, this came to my mind, I just couldn't help but go, man, this is a longing I have in my heart. I want to be known. And you know the best part about God knowing you? It's like these sheep are super needy. Like, right? Like the title of my message, they're needy. But like the shepherd's not turned off by their neediness or their mistakes. Like if a sheep wanders, like the shepherd still cares for the sheep. And that's the beauty of your relationship with God. He knows every detail before you even tell him. He knows the sins you make, the thoughts you have, and he is not turned off by you. He knows you and he cares about you. And like this is why he said, I'm a good shepherd. All right, so the shepherd cares about the sheep. He knows the sheep. And the third thing is a shepherd leads their sheep. Say leads. leads. As we discussed moments ago, like sheep obviously like are in desperate need for leadership. I don't know about you, but like if I was jumping off a cliff, I hope someone would start to lead me in a different direction in my life. Like if, if sheep are not smart enough to move pastures, clearly they need, they need a shepherd, right? And so what, what so, stuck out to me so much is that where we're, W. Philip Keller and even other pastors have gone, humans are so much like sheep. I thought it was in this point especially. See, because humans need a leader as well. And you may not be able to recognize it or want to admit it right now, but like, I just want like, everyone's attention in the room right now. Like, look at my eyes. We have all found ourselves having walked off a cliff and in need of help. We have all found ourselves knocked on our back, unable to get up and in need of help. We have all found ourselves in a green pasture that now is, 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 is worn over and seems like it's the worst spot in life to be. We need help. And so when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, he was saying, you may not want to admit it, but you need leadership and I created you and I know what life is like and I created life itself so I can lead you through it. And I want you to get that because whether you want to accept it now or you want to accept it down the road when you find yourself off the cliff, that's fine. But Jesus wants to lead you. And I think what's sad is oftentimes we're guilty of refusing to follow his leadership. I could spend a lot of time today speculating why we are bad at following Jesus. And I could write down a million reasons, but I want to just give you two today. And the first one is the fact that we're just stubborn. It's the obvious one, right? We are stubborn. We don't like to give someone else the wheel of our life, right? It's like carry on to where Jesus take the wheel. Like, no, carry that never happens, okay? Like everyone wants to hold on to the wheel. No one got that reference. It's fine. So just like sheep or animals, we, we know what we know. We like to do what we like to do, and we're good with that. And this is exactly why Isaiah in Isaiah 53, 6 said, We all like sheep have gone what? Astray. We've each turned to our own way. Why? Because we don't like someone else telling us what to do. And here's the, here's the thing I want you to understand. Jesus doesn't have trouble leading us because he's incapable, but because we are oftentimes unwilling Jesus doesn't have trouble leading us because he's incapable because we're often unwilling. So that's the first reason. We just don't like to follow his leadership. The second reason I think we don't oftentimes follow his leadership is because we have a misconception of what, what Jesus is like. And this might be extreme as I describe this, but I could go through my life and go question my faith in God and go, God, are you really a good leader? So in the world today, the type of leadership we're used to seeing typically is this right? There's someone in the back and they're driving everyone forward. And I want you to have this mental picture because in this picture, if this is like the leader and your destination's over here, this means that all of these people are the ones facing the failures of when they don't get to the journey. They're facing the hardship. They're making the sacrifices. They're feeling the pain of what it's going to take to get to the right spot. And so what happens is oftentimes I think we think leadership is like a comfortable sit in the big office type of leadership. But I want you to understand that's not how God leads. And I want to give you an example this morning of how God not leads. And so do I have any Indiana Jones fans? Indiana Jones fans in the room? My dad would be like hyped because he loves Indiana Jones. We watched the movies a lot growing up. But there's a, movie, or a scene in Indiana Jones' The Last Crusade um, where um, the Nazi leaders who are pursuing the Holy Grail, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you just have to go watch it. But the Holy Grail is basically this cup that like, provides eternal life. It's fictional. It's fine. Jesus provides eternal life. That could be a whole sermon in itself. So anyway, they're searching for this Holy Grail. And there's this scene at the end of the movie where they keep sending in like their servants to go through the set of booby traps to get to the Holy Grail. 
And like, guy's head gets chopped off and rolls out. It's dramatic. It's also terrible filmmaking, so it's so unrealistic. But it's fine, okay? We love it. Anyway, um, it was iconic in the day, all right? I actually think my parents' first date was at an Indiana Jones movie. Shout out to them. So anyway, I don't know if you don't like Indiana Jones, you're like, I can't follow my pastors anymore. No, anyway, so what happens is, long story short, Indiana Jones gets, is the one that gets forced to go through the set of booby traps by these Nazi leaders. And he ends up escaping and evading all the booby traps that gets to the Holy Grail. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It succeeds in the end. It's a great story. Indiana Jones wins out in victory like usual, okay? But what I want you to understand is typically we view leadership like these Nazi leaders. Like, they're like, I know that the next steps are going to be hard. Like, you guys go, and I will follow your lead after I see all the mistakes you make. Like, I don't know if that's how you picture leaders, but I think sometimes I think— I, I call out the selfishness in leaders I'm following, and I see where they're short in that area. And what I want you to understand is God being perfect is not one of those leaders. God is not someone who sits in the back and lets us go forward. And the imagery he uses with the good shepherd points this out, okay? Because he says in John 10, 3 through 4, he says, um, the shepherd calls his sheep by name and he what? Leads them out. He doesn't drive them out in fear, right? When he has brought out all his own, he goes on, he doesn't, he doesn't say go and follow. He goes in front. And you know what the coolest picture of this is when it comes to shepherding? Is like, again, sheep are defenseless, so they don't have like a lot of chance to survive. So anything that was on the horizon that could harm them, if the shepherd was not in front, had a pretty good chance of snagging off a sheep. So if it's a wolf or a wild animal, like the, the, the sheep would not survive. So can you just picture Jesus with us falling behind him and the imagery of what that looks like? And I want you to think of the journey of life and the things that you face. And I want you to realize when Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, he was saying, I am going before you and I have already seen what you're going to face and I am here with you. And just because he's not physically with us does not mean he's not, he hasn't gone ahead of us. And one of the most, like the best pictures of this is found in Job. And I don't have time to read Job because it's a long book. But you see at the beginning of Job where Satan comes to God and says, hey, Job, the only reason he's following you is because you're so good to him. And God allows Satan to actually basically destroy Job's life. And at the end of the story, you see that God has a redemption plan and he brings Job, he blesses Job more than before. And I love that picture because all of Job is Job basically questioning God. Why? Because he wasn't in the throne room when Satan asked God if he could attack Job. So Job did not understand. In a way, he probably thought he was walking through life with his shepherd behind him. But what you have to understand is God had already gone before him. God had already fought his battle. He had already lined it up. And you may not be able to understand that, but I guarantee if you've been in part of faith in Jesus at all, you can look back over your life and see how the good shepherd has walked before you. So what I want you to understand is even if right now you don't feel like the good shepherd is before you, he has already walked out the thing you are facing. He is walking with you. It's why in Psalm 23, he said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. God is with us. He's walking with us. This is good preaching. I feel like, I, I, like you may be glazed over, but I'm like, I hope you remember this. Your shepherd cares for you. He knows you. He wants to lead you. Okay, and the final thing in my closing today, it's not gonna take long so the band can come up, is this. A shepherd sacrifices for their sheep. A shepherd sacrifices for the sheep. Like we've discussed, sheep obviously are in need of a lot of help. And so what happens is like we, we already said, sheep, sheep, they're not ferocious. Like they don't have claws. They don't have fangs. Like they have nothing to protect themselves. So the domesticated farm animal sheep, when it finds itself in danger, it's either like run away if you can or die is basically the option. And Jesus understood this. He was talking about domesticated farm animal sheep when he said, I am the shepherd. And so what he was saying and what shepherds understood in that day is that shepherds were the only chance of survival for the sheep in, in, chance, in, 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 the, in the circumstance of an attack. Either they would stand in the gap for the sheep or the sheep would die. And what I want you to get is like when Jesus in this, in this, in this, this text said, I am the good shepherd, and it's verse 11, he said, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The people hearing this, if they were picking up on the metaphor, could have thought, well, like they didn't, they, they didn't know what we knew. So like they could have thought, well, like, I don't know, Jesus is going to stand in the gap like on behalf of like the hard circumstances I'm facing today or next week or in a month from now. But what I want you to understand 
because we can look at it now is when Jesus made the statement, I'm the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He was talking about a sacrifice that goes above all other sacrifices. Yes, a physical shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep in order to protect the sheep, but that's just for today. Jesus laid down his life and he sacrificed as the good shepherd so we could be safe for eternity. And I want you to grasp that today because every one of these I am statements is going to come back to us having to decipher like, am I going to choose heaven or hell? In every single statement, you see resurrection of life. Even in the last couple, the bread of life, I talked about that. Sasser last week, divine. We have to be connected to Jesus in order to live in eternity. Every single one comes back to this idea of eternity. And us as humans facing that choice one day that we are going to die and we're gonna have to face death and hell. And the beauty of this picture, again, of the shepherd is that they would stand in the gap to protect their sheep, right? Something's coming and Jesus says, I'm not the hired hand, we read it, that runs away when a wolf comes. I stand in the gap. And I love it because I just, I felt overwhelmed thinking about Jesus was saying, I stand in the gap of pure evil. I face Satan, death, hell, and the grave itself. I stand in that gap and I lay down my life. And then the text says, I pick it up again because Jesus had the power to resurrect and come back from the grave. And in doing so, he bought us eternity. He bought us freedom. And you know what the beauty of that is? Is that when we look at all the devastation going on today, the earthquake in Haiti, the, the Afghans, Afghanistan situation, the, 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 the political division and hatred, the mass debate, all these different things. We are looking at problems right now. And Jesus is saying, I have already taken care of them and I'm looking towards eternity and I've already won it for you. And so what we have to remember is that we have a good shepherd that even when life feels overwhelming, we can look into the face of the good shepherd and know he's already taken care of us. He's already gone before us. He knows us and he has laid down his life so that we could have eternal freedom with him. And so in closing today, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a moment and pray for you. And of course, I want to give the opportunity for salvation, but um, I want to remind you again, my, the title of my message is I'm needy. I'm needy, right? And the beauty of that is I think we can all come back and go, yes, I am needy. But the coolest thing is the shepherd is not turned off by a sheep's neediness. He recognizes he's there to fulfill the need. And God wants to meet your needs today on a practical level, on a spiritual level, on an emotional level. And most importantly, he wants to meet the need of your soul. And so today I wanna to go through and I wanna just give an opportunity. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, I wanna just go through and say, are you facing a physical need today where you need Jesus to show up? It could be battling cancer like Pastor Rhonda. It could be a back pain you've been struggling with. Are you, are you facing a physical need? If you are, raise your hand today. Thank you for that. Thank you. You can put your hand down. We're gonna pray. I'm gonna pray a general prayer here in just a second for everybody. The other one is, are you facing a mental or emotional need today? Are you someone who's going, man, I feel down in the dumps. I feel overwhelmed. I'm tired of overthinking. There's multiple of you. Raise your hand. Thank you. That's good. Your shepherd cares for you. And last but not least, and all of us should raise our hands for this one, even if we've been saved and we have salvation, and it's this, are you in need of a savior that can remove your sin and lay down his life for you, that can overcome death, hell, and the grave and the sin that you cannot get over on your own? Thank you. And so I want to take a moment today and I want to pray for each and every person here. And I want to pray over those specific needs. And I want you to, in prayer, agree with me. Like, I'm not talking to God for you. I'm not a priest where you come confess and I, I go to God before you. No, you have a personal relationship with God. So I, as I pray, I want you to lift up your need to Jesus and say, good shepherd, I need you. Okay, so God, today we just come before you. God, as these people have admitted, God, there's, there's numbers in the room that have admitted they need physical needs. God, whether that's an illness, God, whether that's a pain, God, whether it's something going wrong in their body, God, we know that our bodies are frail, God, and, they, and they, they live in a world full of sin and hardship. And so right now, I believe in the healing power of Jesus. And I pray for healing over each person that just lifted up their need to you. God, I believe that you're the God of miracles that can raise the dead to life. God, you're the God of miracles that can heal a blind man. God, you're the God of miracles, God, that can heal a woman with internal bleeding. God, so I pray right now, God, as, the, as, the, as each person lifts their needs to you, God, that are physical, God, that you would meet them. Whether it's today, tomorrow, or in eternity, God, we trust that you will do what is your will and what's best for us. And so I just pray over each one of those needs today. God, I also pray over the emotional, mental, 
and mental God needs. God, I myself today need your help in my mind. God, during worship today, I kept praying, God, I need your help. If you don't show up, my mind is going to defeat this message, God. So I 100% believe in the power of Jesus that can heal my mind. So I pray over each person right now with emotional and mental needs. God, whether it's a feeling that will not go away. God, whether it's a situation that continues to bog them down. God, whether it's a mindset, God, in the name of Jesus, I come against it. God, in the name of Jesus, I claim victory over it. God, that you would bring healing. God, you're a God of peace and a God of love. God, so we thank you for that today. God, and finally, we come before you, God, as as broken and sinful people. God, like sheep, we have wandered. God, we have strayed. God, but thankfully, we have a good shepherd that paid the ultimate sacrifice. He stood in the gap between death and us and said, I will take this for you. God, so today, each one of us, God, whether we have an addiction that's present, God, of pornography, God, or alcohol, God, or anything, God, any addiction, God, any sin, God, whether it's a sin of of judgmentalism, God, whether it's a sin of hypocrisy, whether it's a sin of hatred, God, any of those, God, we come against them in the name of Jesus, God, we hand them to you today, God, because we know you stood in the gap for us, God, and we just thank you for that today. God, I just thank you for that today. God, I just pray a special prayer, God, over each person in here. God, each person watching online. God, you know the circumstances they're facing. God, you know the hardship they're facing. And some of them, God, they may actually even know you're a good shepherd. But it's so hard to to believe it because the weight of what they're going through seems insurmountable. And so I pray right now in faith, God, that we could recognize you're the good shepherd, God, and that you care so much for us. God, and we just thank you for that today. God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We cannot express it enough. God, we thank you for your reckless love. God, that chases us down when we go astray. God, that, that is not afraid to look into our darkness and bring light. God, this type of message makes us step back, God, and go, I don't even know how to respond to you, God. It's too good to be true. And that is the, that is the case, God. That's the honest truth. It is too good to be true. God, but we in faith accept it today. God, we thank you for it. God, we thank you for it. God, we thank you. You're the God of miracles. God, we thank you that you're the God that loves us. God, we thank you, God, that you have gone before us, God, in our situations. God, and I just, I just pray that each person would walk out of here remembering that. God, that you would move in their life, God, and they remember how good you are. And we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. So we're going to dismiss in just a moment, but I encourage you, if you want prayer and you want specific prayer for your needs, these two are amazing prayer, prayer warriors, Larry and Jan, and they, they are confidential and they will pray for you. So come up and pray with them if you have a need that you need prayer for. And I believe God can work on your behalf. And again, it may not come in your timing and it may not come in your way, but he's a good shepherd and he has gone before you. He sees what you need the most. And so remember that as you walk out of here online, as you turn off this this stream, remember that God is good. He loves you. He's a good shepherd. Is that a good word? We'll see you in the weeks to come, church. We love you. Bye. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.